Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. There's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. I've let the Brooklyn Nets' shocking 129-100 win over the Philadelphia 76ers marinate for a couple days before discussing it here, as I promised I would, in part because I had to talk about it several times on radio and TV almost immediately afterward and wanted to be able to step back and let the shock and awe of what happened dissipate to avoid making any proclamations or draw conclusions that really aren't merited. So let's start here. The lopsided win does not mean that the Nets would make short work of the 76ers in a playoff series. I would give them the edge especially if Ben Simmons is available by then. But there are some aspects of the game that played right into Brooklyn's hands. The hot start is one. Now, for anyone who has been paying attention to the Sixers since they acquired James Harden, slow starts are not exactly new. Their first two games with Harden against the Timberwolves and Knicks, they came out of the gate blazing, as you would expect that they would uh, in enthused by the presence of Harden and finally having the Ben Simmons shadow gone. But by the third game, another meeting with the Knicks, it was clear that they were already feeling themselves, playing with their food, as some people like to say. That is a dangerous habit to develop and evidence, as I see it, of the fact that they don't have team leaders who understand the habits that championship teams develop. And why would they? Embiid and Harden have never come close to leading a team to a title. In any case, the Nets game was the fourth time in five games that they trailed at the end of the first quarter. And the one exception against Chicago, they were down by seven early before closing the first period on a 19-7 run with a barrage of three-pointers, five of them to be exact, in less than three minutes. I wouldn't say that's something they can count on. Their game plan 
at the start against the Nets was amazingly basic. Get the ball to Embiid and have him overpower whoever was guarding him, Andre Drummond or Nick Claxton. It resulted in Embiid taking 13 free throws, making 10. But it was very much a one-man show, Embiid scoring 16 of their 23 points and only two other Sixers finding the basket. They registered exactly one assist in the first 12 minutes. The Nets, meanwhile, had seven different players score and collected nine assists. The difference in approach could not have been more stark. The 76ers' size is their great advantage over the Nets, not just with Embiid, but across the board. But being down 17 after the first quarter made it hard to exploit it. That requires playing more methodically on offense, hunting matchups, and absolutely locking in on defense. And the Sixers simply haven't been together long enough to have that kind of patience or grit. They did the exact opposite, trying to hurry their way back into the game, taking 26 second quarter shots to the Nets 19, but only making seven of them. Harden was noticeably passive in the first quarter, content to let Embiid carry the load. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, meanwhile, led the way, but Seth Curry was just as aggressive and Brooklyn's balance was impressive. At halftime, Durant and Curry had taken nine shots, Irving had taken 10, and Bruce Brown had six. Five different nets buried a three to the Sixers' two. Despite playing through Embiid, he did not have a single assist in the first half. In the first half. No one appeared to benefit more from Harden's arrival than Tyrese Maxey, who had not scored less than 17 points playing alongside him until the Brooklyn game, when he only had four. It's, granted, a small sample size, but it would appear that Maxey's impact offensively is dependent on Harden being on his game, which makes sense with the ball being predominantly in James' hands. But as the Sixers' point guard in Ben Simmons' absence, Maxey showed he could be a scorer and a serviceable playmaker. His ability to integrate all that, even with Harden on the floor, appears to be a work in progress. That's ultimately what I see as the Sixers' greatest challenge in harnessing their talent. Embiid reportedly told Harden he needed help encouraging his supporting cast to shoot. It's a noble thought, and the right one, in terms of what a team needs to win a championship. It can't be all about Harden and Embiid doing the bulk of the scoring and everyone else defending and chipping in here and there with buckets. That might have worked back in the ISO two-man game days, but not now. Here's the issue. There's a difference between passing the ball to a teammate to shoot and creating a shot for them. Embiid is not a great passer, certainly not on the level of Nikola Jokic or even Giannis Antetokounmpo. Harden can be a very good playmaker or shot creator for others, but what I've seen the last few games is that he's simply looking for his shot or swinging the ball for someone else to take a shot without aggressively looking to draw the defense's attention first. That is not going to get it done. It makes me wonder what kind of shape Harden is in. He doesn't look to be particularly fit, which, again, would not be surprising. 
Doc Rivers, the Sixers head coach, said he plans to give both Embiid and Harden games off down the stretch in preparation for the playoffs. I get that with Embiid. He's played in 54 of a possible 66 games so far this season. But that's already three more than he played in either of the last two regular seasons. I don't know if he's in peak shape, but he's in the best I've seen that I can remember. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Harden is another story. Yes, he's played 51 games this season so far, but out of the last 20, he's played in nine. Someone made a point of showing Harden running the arena stairs after one of the pre-Brooklyn games, which is about as meaningful as the eight-second video of Colin Kaepernick working out, or the preseason clips of LeBron James and Russ Westbrook working out together. For anyone who may not know, running stairs is a way to lose weight, not get in game shape. That requires change of direction conditioning at game speed, cutting, stopping and starting, and then shooting or attacking a defender with your legs fatigued. That creates the mental toughness of pushing through fatigues to still make a play. Maybe Harden is doing that at practice, putting in extra work after a full workout. I'd have to think we might have seen video of that if it was the case. It's what I've seen Steph Curry do on a regular basis, and then go into the weight room and lift. Whether he or the Sixers want to admit it, Harden is playing catch-up right now. Now, granted, it's a tricky balance with someone with Harden's injury history. But simply resting or coasting into the postseason isn't going to prepare him for the heightened physicality and grind of the playoffs. In the Sixers' subsequent overtime win against the Magic, their first game following the beatdown by the Nets, the bench had exactly one assist for the entire game. That's 48 minutes plus the five in overtime. Four guys played a grand total of 73 minutes off the bench and had a total of one assist. Harden, Maxi, and Embiid had 18 of their 21 assists for the game. That indicates that neither the ball nor bodies are moving, and having watched that game, I can tell you that's an accurate portrayal. Compare that to the Magic, who played 10 guys with eight of them registering at least one assist. The Sixers played nine guys, and five had an assist to their name. That also isn't going to get it done. Not against the Bucks or the Heat, or the Nets, or even the Celtics. And that's just the Eastern Conference that we're talking about. The other concerning sign is how dependent the Sixers are on Embiid and Harden getting to the free throw line. And not just getting there, but getting there a lot. It would appear that the league has eased up on not allowing Harden, in particular, to hunt fouls. He and Embiid accounted for 28 of the Sixers' 32 free throws against the Magic, 
and the Sixers outscored Orlando 32-14 from the free throw line. I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you, but it's reflective of what makes for a good team win. Good teams defend without fouling. And in the postseason, the referees generally allow teams to be more physical. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. Harden averaged 10 points on free throws against the Timberwolves, Knicks, Cavs, and Magic. Against the Bulls and Nets, he averaged four. He is an analytic dream in that against the Nets, he scored all 11 of his points either from the three-point line or on threes. And Bede scored 21 of his 27 points against the Nets on threes and free throws. So he was doing some analytic dream work as well. But that, again, isn't going to get it done. To create shots for the rest of the Sixers, they have to be doing damage inside the arc, preferably in the paint, because That will open up time and space for quality three-point looks for the supporting cast, or simply swinging it to the weak side and allowing them to attack. Because if they're not doing that damage, I don't see anyone else who can. Maxi can help, for sure, but unless they put the ball back in his hands, which I don't see happening, he's not going to get the chance, at least not the chance to make the kind of impact necessary. The overtime win against the Magic also saw Embiid and Harden come up short in the final minutes of regulation. That has to be troubling. Embiid was perfect from the line, 15 of 15, when he stepped to it with the score tied at 104 with 79 seconds left. He missed both free throws. In fact, he went scoreless in the final four minutes, as did Harden, contributing one turnover and no assists. Now, to be fair, Harden came through in overtime with six points and two dimes. But not being able to close against the worst team in the Eastern Conference, a team that is 0-3 in overtime this season, and especially coming off of the loss to the Nets, was not a good look. It wasn't exactly the kind of reassuring performance that I'm sure Sixers fans were looking for after the Brooklyn debacle. The kind of performance that would indicate the 76ers were angry about their no-show against the Nets and wanted to make a statement that all the optimism about what they can do with the nucleus of Embiid and Harden is warranted. They have a stretch of games now that will tell us a lot about exactly where they are. They play the Nuggets, Cavs, Mavericks, Raptors, and Heat before going to L.A. to face the Lakers and Clippers. Then they've got the Suns and the Bucks who will finally have Brooke Lopez in the mix. How fast he can get in shape and make a contribution will be something to keep an eye on as well. The thing to watch with the Sixers is not if they win, but how they win those games. Keep an eye on the distribution of assists and the scoring of Harden and Embiid in the paint. That will tell us if they're developing the chemistry necessary to make teams pay for devoting too much attention to Harden and Embiid. And it will give us a sense of just how aggressive Harden is. Not when he's just looking to score himself, but to create for others. They are a good team. Make no mistake about it. 
It just remains to be seen if they can evolve into a great one. And I don't say any of this in hope that the Sixers come up short. I have my doubts, sure, but the postseason will be far more riveting and captivating if they are a force to be reckoned with. But to do that, they're going to have to develop not just a more balanced scoring attack, but a more diversified way of getting everyone involved. Their 6-2 record since Harden joined them isn't enough for me to believe just yet that they've found a formula that is going to work against the best teams. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, we're going to have to take a look at the Lakers, where they are now. I've been the one holding out the hope, the promise, the possibility that they could still get their act together. And once they get into the play-in, that they manage to find their way to the playoffs. And then it just depends on whether they're going to see the Suns with Chris Paul or the Warriors with Draymond Green. We just saw the Lakers play the Suns and get run. And it was not encouraging on a variety of levels. They look like a team that has quit. They look like a team that is following LeBron James and the approach that he's taking to the season to this point. We'll see, or we'll discuss, whether there's a way for them to come out of it. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.